We just ended a eight ten week series, eight to ten week series on on let's fight, where we looked at um, truths from the scripture on how to stand strong in our culture and how to be a man and a woman who can can fight in the power of the spirit. And we we looked in depth at truth for a couple of weeks. Then we talked about worship for a couple of weeks. Then we talked about prayer for a couple of weeks, and we talked about unity for a couple of weeks. And it's it's interesting to me how the Holy Spirit works, and that that series ended just as the chapter of the day began with First Corinthians. First Corinthians, the church of Corinth was a church in severe crisis. It was a church that was impacted negatively by the culture. And the people in the church were being persuaded by that culture. And Paul responds through the letter of 1 Corinthians on how to deal with the culture. So it's just kind of neat how the Holy Spirit did that. So I want to just talk a little bit about, uh, kind of add add a couple things to that series that I think is important because for, for some reason or another, the last three or four months, I've seen myself, I've, I've found myself really engaging people who are not Christians. And, and I've engaged them on, on several levels, but, but, but I want to share with you four questions that our world has to answer that each individual within us, we are asking. Okay? And every worldview and every individual is answering these questions one way or another. So let's look at these four questions. The first question is I had to ask myself is where did I come from? The second question is why am I here? The third question is how should I live? And the fourth question is what will my future be? See, there's a lot of people who, and I, I hesitate, hesitate to say that we are a post-Christian nation even though a lot of philosophers are now saying that. And I hesitate to say that we're in a cultural war, but I sense within me that there's great tension out there. The, the, the pressures I feel emotionally are different than what I felt 30 years ago. The pressures I feel socially to proclaim my faith is different than what I felt 20 years ago. The pressures intellectually, I find myself having to think on ways I've not had to think before to go against some of the intellectual thoughts in our culture that I've not had to do before. So there's, there's an intensity of pressure. Maybe there is a cultural war that's going on over the, uh, I, I, and I would say this, over the spirit of mankind. So where did I come from? Don't tell me that I didn't come from God unless you have a good alternative for me. A rational alternative, an intellectual alternative, and an emotional alternative. I need to know where did I come from? We're all asking that question. We have to know the answer to that. I need to know why am I here? Where do I get significance? Where do I get purpose? Where do I get meaning? Where do I find value? Why am I here? Okay, now, how should I live? What's moral? What's right? What's wrong? And then 30, okay, what, what's going to happen in my future? And I, I must say this to you. In exploring this for years, the Christian worldview is truly the only worldview that can answer these four questions. So I want you to know 
that in a cultural confused time in our American country, in our country, the United States of America, I want you to know as Christians, we have the answer to those four questions. So let's go with it. Where did I come from? God. He created you. He designed you from the beginning of time. He loves you. He wants you. He's got a dream for you. Why am I here? For God. To worship Him. To bow my knee to Him. To enjoy Him. To adore Him. To give Him my life. To bring glory to His name. How shall I live? By the Word of God. By the instruction in the Word of God. I never... Please hear this. I'm going to be 60 years old in a couple weeks. I've never found any person ever in my life who said, I followed this word and it just did not make sense and it led me down a road that was devastating. Every single person who I've ever talked to who said they followed the word of God has joy and peace and love and hope. That's amazing. How should I live by the word of God? It answers that question. What will my future be? Not an empty grave, folks. Please hear this. I'm never, never going to die. My body's going to fall asleep. But my spirit is going to go home to be with the Father. And one day my body and my spirit are going to be joined together. See, the Christian worldview answers those four questions for all of us. And so you're never at the mercy of someone with an argument and ask them when they want to argue with you, what is the alternative? What do you have planned for me? Give me some rational, intelligent, reasoning thoughts about how I can answer these four questions if it's not for God. So we live in a culture that's answering these four questions Oh, excuse me, they're not answering these four questions. They're just not. And because of that, worldviews are slipping in. Existentialism, I, I could go on, different philosophies are coming in, but it all goes to an empty grave that means nothing. And it's all self-seeking, and it's all about how I feel and what can make me happy, what can make me, what can make me, what can make me. It's all about me, 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 me. And it leads... To a dead end. So let's look at the church of Corinth. The church of Corinth was a church that Paul, you can read about this in Acts chapter 18, that Paul goes there, he leaves Athens and he goes to Corinth and he spends 18 months birthing that church, talking to people, leading to people to Christ, discipling them, and then he leaves. And then he starts hearing rumors and he starts getting letters and he begins getting reports about the church in Corinth. And how they're going down a road that's not healthy. So 1 Corinthians is him responding to that. So let me take a step back if I may. And let me talk about the culture of Corinth. Okay, let me share with you four things about that culture. And, and you, can read, you can study this on your own. The first thing, the church at Corinth was in a culture that was immensely Wealthy. As a matter of fact, Corinth was said to be the wealthiest city in ancient time. And the reason why they were so wealthy is because Corinth was on the edge of what's called an isthmus. An isthmus is a land bridge between, between Upper Greece and the Peloponnese of Lower Greece. 
And so people traveling from Spartan to Athens would have to go through that port. And then the Ithamus, the land bridge, had a, had a gulf on the, on the south side and a gulf on the north side. So people from Africa and Asia would come to that gulf and they would unload their ships because they would not go around the island of Greece because of the storms. They would unload their ships. And there's a, even today you can see the, 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 the road. There was a 20, 20 foot wide road for four miles that had, had a made of stone where they would unload the cargo and take it over that road to the other gulf where they would load it back on a ship and take it up to Rome and other parts of Europe. Now, the reason why that's important is this. As all the wealthy manufacturers and owners of this, these, these companies would have a place in Corinth where they would sell their wares. And so the people would come, they would, they would buy their wares from the ship, and then they would sell their wares going north. And so at one time they said that Corinth had over five times as many people in Corinth as Athens did. So great, great wealth, great wealth. And now understand in, in ancient times, there was never a middle class. It was great wealth or extreme poverty. So there was a lot of slave labor carrying the, the cargo across that isthmus to the other port. Second thing I want you to know about this is that it was a place of great acceptance of all different religions. As a matter of fact, the archaeologists now have found over 26 temples to all different gods. Aphrodite is the goddess of sex. Poseidon, the goddess of the ocean. Mar and Zeus, on and on it goes. And they were known for this great acceptance of all these different gods, all these different temples. And people would roam the streets and they were proclaiming the truth of their God everywhere they went. And then the last thing I want you to know about Corinth that I find amazing is there was a town where the Isthmus games were played. Now, the Isthmus games was just one step below the Olympic games that was in Athens. They did this every other year, but all the great athletes from around the world, they lived in Corinth, and they did training, and they had all the groupies that were following them. So, so Paul comes in in Acts chapter 18, He's a tent maker. It says he, that's what he did. Well, why did he need to be a tent maker? Because there was such a transient crowd that he had constant need for, for shelter. So he would make these tents. So this is the culture that the church is birthing. Great affluence, great, great wealth, uh, idols everywhere, temple everywhere. As a matter of fact, the temple of Aphrodite, which was on the Acre uh, Corinth up in the, up the mountain range overlooking the city of Corinth, they actually had over a thousand male and female prostitutes that would go engage the city in prostitution as an act of worship. So that's the culture that this church is being birthed in. That's the culture where these people are coming to Christ and discovering Christ. Now Paul leaves. And now, because they're not being grounded as deeply as they needed to be, now they're having all of this influence coming in. So let's look at the influence. The first four chapters of 1 Corinthians, there's divisions, remember? I'm for Paul. Paul's my hero because I'm a groupie. I'm for Peter. 
I'm for Apollo. And, they, and they're arguing over this. And then chapter 5, they're having lawsuits. Well, why? Because all these tradesmen, they were constantly suing one another. And so the church becomes Christians and they start, I don't like what you do. I'm going to sue you. And then all this sexual immorality in chapter 6, 7 that comes into play. Remember, he says, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't join yourself to these prostitutions uh, in acts of prostitution, which that was commonplace. In that, and they, they became Christians, but they didn't let go of that. And then chapter, chapter 8, it talks about meat offered to idols and a great discussion about that. And then chapters 10 through 12, there's this long discussion about, excuse me, chapter 10 is about the Lord's Supper. Well, what were they doing? They had different classes. They were getting together and they were making an act of worship by getting drunk on the blood of Christ, the wine. They were making an act of worship by having segregating different classes, having the wealthy, having the poor. And then chapters 12, 13, and 14 is that great chapters on, on order in the church because they were doing some crazy things if you want to study the, the, the different kind of things that they were using, even the implementation implementation of drugs in their worship. They would make them go crazy and do crazy things, and Paul's talking about that. And then in chapter 15, he talks about the, the, uh, the resurrection of the dead. And he says, if Christ has been resurrected, why are we here? And this is what your new body is going to be like. So those are the issues that was happening in this church. Do you think that was a church in crisis? Do you think that that was a church that the culture impacted? Very much so. So now I want to look at how does Paul, how does Paul handle this? How would you handle this? You're a missionary. You spend a year and a half of your life birthing this church. You move away. These are the crazy kinds of things happening. How would you handle this? And if you would, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And now, for my next 17 minutes, and we'll go about 30 minutes and we'll call it quits. If I'm done, I'm done. If not, I'll find a way to, to give you a break. But uh, I want to look at Paul's heart because there's a tendency, tendency to me to say, hey, get your act together. Stop doing that. Slap you a couple times. Go to your room. Take your license away. You're penalized for eternity. You know, you're fired. But look what, look what he says. And I, I want us to look at this deeply. And I want us to see the heart of a father. And I want us to see the heart of Father God. The first thing I want to look at is he talked to them about enjoying their identity. Now look at this. In verse 2, Paul says, I am writing to God's church in Corinth. To you who have Oh, I love this. You see the intimacy? This is dripping with identity. You who have been called. Can you see God saying, Dennis, I'm called. Come on. Come on, Dennis. Phil, you're my, Brenda, you're mine. John, come on. You've been called by God. He's saying, this is your identity. Do you see yourself being called by God from the beginning of time? He had your name written on his heart. He's calling you. He says, you have been called by God to be his own. To be his own holy people. He made you holy by means of Christ Jesus. 
See, this is in a couple of weeks when I teach on 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to talk more in depth about this. He made you holy. Do you know when I was made holy? I was made holy at the cross. At the cross when Jesus Christ died for me, you and I were made holy. We were in Christ. He died on the cross. I died on the cross with him. He was buried. I was buried with him. He arose. I, was, I arose with him. Whoever he is, I am because of my identity in him. He made me holy. Paul's not beating them up. He's reminding them of who they are and what happened when they opened up their heart to Jesus Christ. Can you see that? We have a God who's not condemning us. He's not beating us up. He's a God that says, I have called you. I have made you holy and righteous in my eyes. Isn't that beautiful? I'm amazed by that. Because it's so against my nature. Just as he did for all people everywhere. Look at this. I got to say this. Everybody on the earth who's ever been born, who's ever lived, he's called everyone, and he's made everyone holy. Now look at the condition. This is the condition. Look at this. Who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Oh, if, if anybody here doesn't know Christ, I'm telling you, God's made you holy, and the only condition he's put on you is to open up your heart by faith. And receive it. That's all he's saying. He said, I've called you. I want you. The sacrifice of my son on the cross was enough. I long for you. Open up your heart. So enjoy our identity. Let me ask you this question, saints of God. Are you enjoying who God made you in him? Let me define the word joy for you. And John Piper gave me a great definition on this. He said, joy is a good feeling. It is a sense of well-being deep down inside of you that comes because God's given you a revelation of Christ in his word and in the world. See, saints of God, the church of our Lord Jesus Christ will, will never fall prey to the antics and the philosophy of our culture if we're enjoying our identity. Is that good? Let's look at the second thing. And I, and I, I enjoy his grace and peace. Look at verse 2. May God... And by the way, I don't know how far we'll get. I'm just... This is verse 3 of chapter 1. I'm supposed to cover eight, eight chapters today. But if you understand the foundation here, everything else will make sense. Okay? Enjoying his grace... And this peace, look at what Paul says to these beloved saints that, that, that are belong to God. He says, may God. He's not putting on us. He's not putting it on pastors. He's not putting it on teachers or, or apostles or prophets or evangelists or teachers. He says, may God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace. May he give you grace. May he give you grace. Peace. What is he saying? He's saying, may God draw you into his bosom. May God your Abba, 
But you enjoy sitting on his lap. And grace is a very intimate, very personal thing. It's not grace positionally. We may talk about that in a couple of weeks. It's here. It's talking about grace experientially. It's talking about grace that you experience in your everyday life. And it's peace that you experience now. Not peace because you're no longer at at odds with God, but peace that you're experiencing. And Paul says, may the Lord give you this. Are you enjoying grace and peace? Friends, if we're enjoying our identity, and we're enjoying grace and peace by being on Abba's lap, and enjoying him in our life, the antics of this world will not impact us. And he's telling the church of Corinth, if you understand this, he's starting this off. This is what he's saying. This is what's happening. This is what's going on to give them a foundation by which he can instruct them on all the other issues that we talked about. Now look at the next one. Enjoying the anticipation in verse (laughs) 7. Verse 7, this is so cool. He says, now you have every spiritual gift, past tense, it's already done, kind of reminds me of 2 Peter chapter 1, you now have every spiritual gift you need as you, Dennis, eagerly, eagerly wait for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I, I, we, just, we did a series, we did a series in December, Pastor Phil, and, and I uh, did a series and I helped him a little bit with that, on our forever life. See, if you and I have a vision of what's going to happen when Jesus returns, man, we're never going to fall prey to the antics of our culture, to the philosophies of this world. If you have a vision that one day this earth is going to be made new, the heavens are going to be made new, you're going to have a new body and a new heart, you're going to be given rewards, you're going to be able to be in God's presence constantly walking with Him day and night, you're going to know each other, your bodies are going to be whole, all sickness is going to be gone, there will be no possibility of sin, love will be 100%, joy will be 100%, peace will be 100%. If you have a vision for that and you anticipate that and you are eagerly, eagerly, kind of like, Come on, Jesus. Come on. Come on, Jesus. Let's go. Let's get this thing going. And when that's happening, you're not going to fall prey to the philosophies of this world. See, that, see that, that's, not a, that's not a dream. That's not, a, uh, 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 that's not fiction. That's reality. And you know what? I don't care if I go be with him through my physical body falling asleep, but I would love to see that Easter sky split open. (laughs) Wouldn't that be cool? I see him coming back on those horses. What's that going to look like? (laughs) And then hear that trumpet sound and say, my Messiah, my Savior, my Lord, he's coming back. So are you enjoying the anticipation of that, and he's telling these dear saints to be eager in awaiting his return. Let's look at the next thing in verse 8. Are you enjoying his strength? He will keep you strong, he will keep you strong. It's not about me. My wife always reminds me, it's not about us. It's the Holy Spirit that does this. Yeah. 
He will keep you strong. He will keep you strong. He will keep you strong. Do you hear that? It's his job. As you open up your heart, he will keep you strong. Now watch this. He will keep you strong to the end so that you, Dennis, will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. So Paul starts this letter to the church of Corinth saying, are you enjoying your identity? Are you enjoying the grace and peace that I'm giving you every day? Are you enjoying and anticipating my return for you? And are you enjoying the strength that I'm giving you every day? Because if we are, the rest of the letter will make sense. Now turn to chapter 2. Let's, let's skip the uh, chapter 1 part because I don't have enough time. Let's turn to chapter 2. And I want to begin with verse 6. This is Paul's message of wisdom. He says, yet... Uh, well, I'm going to start with verse 6 and then we'll pick up that passage. Yet when I'm among mature believers, I do speak with words of wisdom, but not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world. Hey, let me ask you, do you guys realize that there's two different kinds of wisdom? The wisdom of the world says, if you don't love your wife, kick her out. If your husband doesn't, kick him out. The wisdom of God says, no, you're in covenant with that person, so you learn how to love and, and work through, fight through all the pain and the struggles you go through. That's the wisdom of God. The wisdom of the world says, get all the money you can, buy a bigger house, travel the world, do this, do this, do this. The wisdom of God says, I've given you great things. Give freely and be generous as my Holy Spirit leads you in giving to the needs that I have ordained for you to give to from the beginning of time. Right? You see, there's, there's two. The wisdom of the world says, be open to anything. The wisdom of God says, be open to me, Yeshua, the Messiah of all mankind. See, there's a difference between the wisdom of this world. By the way, let me define wisdom for you. There's three parts of wisdom. I don't know why this, but this is for free because I think I'm supposed to share this. The first part about wisdom is this. Wisdom involves informational knowledge. Truth. It also involves situational insight. How do I apply that truth? And then it also involves the courage and the fortitude to follow through with the truth that is given to you. So let's apply that. Okay. My identity. I'm feeling down on myself. My life's depressing. I'm not enjoying life. It's just really, it's, it's just no fun right now. So informational knowledge says, what does God say about me? He says, I'm a new creation. He says, I've got a plan. He says, I've got a destiny. I've got purpose for you. That's what the word of God says. Okay, how do I put that in my situation of life? Now I start confessing that. I start seeing myself as God sees me. I start proclaiming to the world, this is who I am. And then I am over here. I now have the courage. I now put my shoulders back. I put a smile on my face. And I begin walking in such a way that displays to the world that I believe what God says about me and the wisdom of God in relationship to me more than the wisdom of God from wisdom of this world. You see how that works? So informational knowledge, situational insight, and courage. And so let's get back to this passage here. 
he says, Yet when I'm among mature believers, I do speak with words of wisdom, but not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world or to the rulers of this world who are soon forgotten. Did you? I, man, I, I want to just say this. They're all going to go away. All the dark principalities, all the dark rulers, they're real. They're called demons and demonic. It's all going to go away. As a matter of fact, he says, it's going to be forgotten. No, this, the wisdom we speak is, is the wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God. His plan that was previously hidden, even though He made it for our ultimate glory before the world began, it's for us. This wisdom, this mystery, God's plan that was hidden, He's now revealing, and He's saying it is for you and I. In verse eight. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. That is what the scriptures mean when they say this. And this is where we can pick this up. No eye has seen. Wow. No ear has heard. No mind has imagined. And I can imagine a lot. But no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Now watch this. He's saying that the natural mind, you can't conceive it. You, you, can't, you can't perceive it. You can't, you can't understand it in the natural. But look at this in verse 10. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. Oh, please hear this. God, help me, help me to, this is so passionate. God is so intimate. He's so endearing. God hides himself and reveals himself to us a little bit at a time as we have the maturity to handle it. See, Jesus Christ, is, he's like the most expensive diamond that every time the sun reflects a different way, you see a different part of it. There's a different prism that comes forth. You see his character and, and he's saying these things are hidden, but as you grow in him, and please understand this, it's your responsibility to grow in him. It's not a pastor's responsibility to make sure you grow. They equip, they edify. It's not the teacher's responsibility. It's not the apostle's responsibility. It's not the prophet's responsibility. It's, it's your responsibility to grow in him. And the Holy Spirit will, as you pursue him, the Holy Spirit will open up a door and let you see Christ in a new way. And you'll walk into that and say, Ooh, wow, this is, this is incredible. And then you'll, you'll live in that room for a while. And maybe for, for back in the 80s, it was his love for me. It was amazing. I, I lived 10 years trying to figure that out and how wonderful that was. And then, then, then he says, come on, Dennis. And then the Holy Spirit opens up another door. And you walk into the next room. And he gives you a revelation of something new. It may be his divinity. It may be his wisdom. It may be his joy. It may be a multitude of things. But this is the exciting part. As you grow closer to the Holy Spirit, he gives you experiential of what you hear and what you read. He makes that experience become real in your life. See, there's a difference between saying, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that who is so believing in it, we've heard it many times. 
versus saying, God so loved me, me, that he gave his son for me. And it's your experience. It's your reality. And when it becomes your experience and your reality is no longer going to church, but you become the ecclesia, the community of God everywhere you go. It's no longer God out there somewhere. It's God in here. He's, he reveals that to you when you press into him. And listen, this is what's so neat. It's like a marriage. I wish, Brendan, I could say our last 20 years just <laughs> best years of our life. Well, I could say that. Can you say it? <laughs> yeah. But I tell you what, we've had, we've had some hurdles to overcome. And we've had to press in. God is the same way. You are raised a certain way. You are programmed, hardwired. It's called the sin nature. And you had to press into the things of the Spirit. As you press into them, good things will come your way. And good things will be revealed to you and let me wind out. Worship team can come up, please. It says this for the spirit, for his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. <laughs> I didn't say that. Do you know that there's something out there? That, excuse me. Do you know? 99.9% of all the knowledge for me to gain in my life, I don't know yet. Those are the deep secrets. And I love that journey. I love that adventure. I love, every time I open the Word, I've read through this Word. I, 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 I can't even tell you how many times. But every time I read it again, it's like I've never read it before. It's like, ha. but he searches out the deep things. And look at this. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. So let's, let's go back. Corinth, messed up. All these crazy things were coming in. So now, the divisions I talked about, the wisdom of God says, stop it! Don't you know whether Paul said it or Peter said it or Apollo said it? One person planted, another person watered, but this is the gig. God gave the increase. What are you boasting about man for? You know that whole lawsuit stuff? In 1 Corinthians 5, he says, what are you doing? Stop it! It's better for you to lay down your life and be taken advantage of than you take someone to court. God's wisdom. Wow. You know that whole sexuality thing and that, that indecency and all that crazy stuff that was happening behind the scenes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and chapter 7. He says, don't you know all those temples out there that you see and you pass by every day? Don't you know that you're the temple of God? My spirit lives inside of you, not those temples. You are the temple of God. Do you know that food sacrifice to idols? He said, listen, I'm not going to take away your personal freedom. But if you, if you take a, a, a nice ribeye from the side of that beef that was given to sacrifice and offends somebody, he says, don't do it. 
But if no one's offended, he said, do it. What's he saying? Use the wisdom of God. Use the, you know, all the spiritual, the, 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 the Lord's Supper stuff, all the crazy things they were doing. He said, stop it. This is about Jesus. Wash one another's feet. Open your heart to one another. Commune and examine yourself. Commune with me. All that disorder in the church. He's saying, I am a God of order. And he lays out what that order looks like. The wisdom of God. Please stand up. I want to ask you. Have you allowed yourself to really enjoy and really enjoy what Christ did for you at Calvary. To really enjoy your identity of who he made you. Have you allowed that? And have you allowed yourself to be invaded by his grace? Has he become the magnificent obsession of your heart where his grace and his peace just overwhelms you? And you say, Abba, I want to crawl up on your life. Have you had that experience in your life? Have you, do you wake up in the morning excited that maybe today's the day? Because you have such a vision of him coming back and capturing your heart and capturing his church and taking us home? And have you dwelled with the Spirit long enough that you feel endued with his power, with his strength? And I want you to know, friends, that if the answer is no, it's not because of God. And I want to encourage you as we worship for you to take a step towards Christ. For you to open up your heart towards Christ in this world of, 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 of in our culture of, of sin and incredibly uh, demonic kinds of things. That you open up your heart and pursue Him. And this is one thing I'll say. And then we'll begin. I want to open up the altar here. If there's a blatant type of sin in your life. It could be pride. It could be arrogance. It could be sexual immorality. Whatever it is, it's going to be difficult. Even though you're redeemed, even though you're saved, it's going to be difficult for you to experience all that God has planned for you. And I want to encourage you as we worship, the altar is open to come up and say, God, I want, I want, the, I want all this good stuff. I want to lay this down.